Oh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If, if we've not yet met, lovely to meet you. Uh, my name's Rob, and I'm a member of a congregation here. Um, shall we pray? Father, this morning, as we come to your word humbly, I pray that you'll speak through your word to each of our hearts as we need to hear it, Lord. Amen. Well, before I begin, I do need to apologize, because I am, by profession, a physics teacher. So I thought we might start this morning with just a little bit of physics. Yes, thank you. Some excitement for the physics. That's what we need. Right, so, and as always with physics, it's always best to start easy, start small, a nice little simple equation. So here it is. (laughs) Just just a a little one. Um, And what you're looking at here, this is the Lagrangian function for the standard model. It effectively describes what is going on in the, uniform, in the, in the universe uh, right now. Good news is we can actually simplify this a little bit. Here we go. Uh, and of course, it now needs no further explanation. Perfectly clear. But let's, let's explain it anyway. And I'm, I'm going to caveat this explanation with the fact that I am only a secondary school physics teacher. I say only, but I don't fully understand what's going on here myself. But I can explain enough. So uh, first line up there. That takes us through the four forces that we observe in the universe. We've got the electromagnetic force, the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, and ah, we'll move on. Right, then we've got uh, the second line. That tells us uh, how these three, four forces act on uh, quarks and leptons. They're the fundamental particles of matter. They make up everything in the universe. Uh, The fourth line, that explains how these quarks and uh, leptons get their mass. That's namely through an interaction with something we call the Higgs field. And then the last line basically enables the Higgs field to do its thing. Um, But for those of you who um, were paying attention there, you'll notice I sort of stumbled on the first line a little bit. I mentioned four forces that we observe in the universe, but there are only three in this equation. And the reason for that, my understanding is that as soon as we put the fourth force, that's gravity, into this equation, it simply just stops working. It's actually a little bit broken. So I'm standing in front of you here today as a physics teacher, trying to tell you that despite all that we know about the universe, and as physicists, we flatter ourselves that we know quite a bit about the universe. But the truth is, as complicated as this formula is, It doesn't explain everything. We really don't know that much at all. And so here's where everyone who fell asleep when I mentioned physics really needs to wake up again. Because this is my point. What little we do know, what relatively few aspects of the universe that we can and do understand, well, that really is nothing compared to what God knows. God does know how you get gravity into this equation. I can't go back, never mind. He knows how we can get gravity into this equation without breaking it. I mean, he created the universe. He effectively wrote that equation. He knows what it really should look like. To God, that equation isn't broken. And what we're going to see as we look at this little section of Job, and well, I'll be honest, quite a bit of Job leading up to this equation, is that there is a real hope that can be found when we put our trust completely in the sovereign creator God, who knows far more about his creation than we could ever possibly imagine. So if that's you, if you're sitting here today looking at the world around you and going, man, this 
this equation sure is broken. Or maybe if you're at home and you're sitting there thinking, why am I in isolation again? I've served my time, I've got my jab, I've worn a mask, I really shouldn't be here. Maybe there are some of us who've got loved ones lying in a hospital bed. Or maybe we're suffering through some real financial worries and hardships. Or we're seeing long-wished-for future plans shattering around us. Or maybe you're lucky. Maybe things are okay. But wherever we're at today, what we can learn from Job's experience is that we can say with absolute certainty, God's got this. That doesn't mean that things are necessarily going to get better right away or that they're going to stay as they are now. But God has got this. And as Job finds, in that simple fact lies a hope that cannot be broken. So before we dive into Job 40, it's really important that we recognize where this little bit comes in the narrative of the whole book. So we're going to play a quick recap game. We're going to go through the whole thing as quickly as we can. See, right at the start of the book, uh, we read about Job's suffering. He has his family ripped from him. Those who are left stop speaking to him. He loses his not inconsiderable wealth. And finally, he loses his health. Now, this is important to recognize. This is not by God's hand, but it is made very clear to us that God has allowed this to happen. Then, as Anil talked through a couple of weeks ago, three of his friends show up. Uh, we've got Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they try to explain what is going on to Job using their own limited understanding of the universe. They effectively have their own equation to explain what's going on in the universe. Uh, and it's an equation that, a bit like the standard model, explains what they think is going on. Um, it's not really an equation, it's sort of more of a pair of simultaneous equations. So to them, one cannot be true without the other. Uh, and they look something like this. Aha, there it is. The first of the equations is good deeds equals good things. And then the second part of their equation looks like this. Uh, bad deeds equal bad things. And so it's a simultaneous equation. Uh, as far as they're concerned, you can't have one without the other. They both must be true. Um, and these equations, a bit like the Lagrangian function of the standard form, also have a fancy name. Theologians call these equations the retribution principle. And to Job's friends, this simple equation sums up how the world works. They sum up, to Job's friends, how God runs the universe. So when they see Job suffering, their instinct, based on their limited understanding, is to say, well, dude, you must have done something pretty bad. And when Job denies this, they actually then start making up sins that Job must have committed in order to explain why he's suffering. They are desperate for this equation to work out. And yet for Job, this equation, like the standard model, is just a little bit broken. In chapter 12, verse 23, he actually challenges. He says, how many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. In chapter 21, he even describes bad things that other people have done and the prosperity that seems to follow them. In chapter 19, verse 6, the gloves are completely off, and he goes all out and says, God has wronged me. As Job sees it, 
there's something fundamentally flawed with his friend's formula. He still can't think of a better one, though. But this one definitely doesn't work. And I think he summarizes this best uh, in chapter 30, verses 24 to 26. So if you do have a Bible with you or you're um, reading on your phone, do flip back a couple of chapters. Uh, So this is Job 30, verse 24 to 26. And Job says this. He says, Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept with those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I looked for light, then came darkness. See, what Job is basically saying here is, look, you don't kick a man when he's down. That's not what I've done. That's not how I've lived my life. But just look what's happened to me in return. Then in the narrative, a man called Elihu shows up. Uh, And he sort of tweaks the equation a little bit. We won't go into too much detail today. But essentially, he claims that God uses suffering somehow to build character, that it's going to make you a better person. Uh, But here's the thing. Elihu's completely missed the point as well. His equation still doesn't add up. I mean, after all, at the beginning of the book, God says of Job, there is no one on earth like him. He doesn't need any... He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. You see, Job's character doesn't need building. He doesn't need any correction. Elihu's version of the equation is broken as well. So then it comes to the bit that Job has been waiting for, pretty much the whole book. And in chapter 38, God speaks to Job from out of a storm. And straight out of the bag, God basically says to Job, look, mate, you don't know what you're talking about. He says that Job has words without knowledge. And so he takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe. He talks Job through creation uh, and reveals exactly how much he, the creator God, knows about his own creation. Right down to, right at the beginning of chapter 39, the reproductive cycle of mountain goats. God really knows and understands every aspect of his world and universe. And that brings us up to date, up to our reading today. So after revealing all of this to Job, God effectively says to him in those first few verses, okay, so what have you got to say for yourself now? You've seen all this. And Job's response here is perhaps the most relatable that we see Job through the whole book. In verse 4, he says, I am unworthy. He has been shown just how awesome God really is by God. I mean, I think any of us would react in the same way if we saw that. But despite all this, Job still doesn't have anything else to say. In verse 5, he says, but I will say no more. How many of us, despite really knowing how awesome God really is, and still think a bit like Job there, yes, God, I'm unworthy, you are amazing, but you still haven't answered my question. Somehow, just knowing that God is in control isn't always enough for us. And we see this in God's response to Job. He challenges him. In verse 8, he says, 
would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? What God is saying to Job here is that you are so keen to explain what is going on with your own understanding that in order to make your broken equation work, you're willing to say that I've got it wrong. And then God goes on, and he reminds Job that Job is not God, that you cannot run a complex world, a complex universe, a complex creation according to a simple formula. And then he reminds Job that it is only God who can save. It is important to note, though, that this equation is not completely wrong. We do see versions of the retribution principle running throughout the Bible. But like the standard model, it's not complete. It's still missing something. And we're never going to know entirely what that is. We will not know what God's formula for running the universe is. But we do know at least one more of the terms in this equation. And it's this one. Now, for those mathematically minded, yes, I realize I've broken the whole simultaneous equation analogy there, and I, I have used the cross as a plus sign. But what we know now, um, yeah, but what we now know that Job didn't is we know that there is Jesus. That still won't answer all the questions that we have today, but hopefully it will answer enough of them. All the suffering that Job experiences in this book that takes 38 chapters to describe and try to explain, well, that's nothing compared to what Jesus went through on the cross. His last words as he died were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, bearing all of our sins, Jesus was separated from his Father. Fully God, fully man, he lived by its very definition a blameless and righteous life. Yet he suffered beyond our imagination. He took the punishment for our sins. And as a result, we will one day be welcomed into a place where suffering is no more. And so... What do we do, though, with that knowledge? Now that we are here in a place where suffering sometimes still is all too real. Let's see if we can take a more lighthearted approach to this. I want you to imagine something for me. I want you to imagine uh, lockdown is easing, which, praise God, we're starting to get there. Um, school's out, this is good. You've been able to book a holiday. Brilliant. You are there, now you're at the airport. You've got onto the aeroplane, you're sat in your nice comfy seat. Along comes the flight attendant. Glass of champagne. Actually, I will. Thank you very much. And you start to get to that best bit of flying when you're at the end of the runway. You hear those big Rolls-Royce turbines spool up and you get pushed into the back of your seat. As you go roaring down the runway and you take off, you are on your way to sun and relaxation. You've deserved this holiday. You've spent 18 months in lockdown. You've done everything that you should have done. You've ordered your shopping when you were able to. You've worn a mask. You've got your jams. You've socially distanced. And this, this is your reward. And then shortly after takeoff, 
captain comes onto the radio and he says, look guys, I'm really sorry, uh, we're going to have to turn the plane around um, and, and head back to Gatwick. Now, what do you do in that situation? Do you look out of the window, check that there's still two wings and two engines, assume everything must be okay because you know aeroplanes need engines and wings, and go storming down to the captain, knock on the door and say, oi, what are you doing here? Play everything looks fine to me, push on. No, we sit in our chair. We grip the arms in a little bit of fear because we know that the captain knows far more about what's going on than we do. He's read the manual to this plane, cover to cover. He spent hours in a simulator practicing what to do if anything goes wrong in every conceivable scenario. He's got at least 1,500 hours under his belt in order to become a captain. He's talked to air traffic control. He's checked the weather every inch of the route. He knows far more than we do. And we trust him to get us down on the ground safely. So how does that compare with our reading? We see, as Job learns, um, and we'll see next week, uh, that we've really just got to trust the pilot. Now, I don't want to trivialize this. Trusting God in all situations really is not easy. Because often, what we are going through can be far more painful than a cancelled holiday. As, as tough as even that can be. But we can trust God. God has got this. He is sovereign. He is in control of his universe. He does know what he is doing. And crucially, he loves us. Now, in a moment, we're, well, we're not going to sing. We'll hopefully mumble a bit behind our masks. And if you're at home, please do sing. But we're going to sing a song. And this particular song has meant actually an awful lot to me over the past few weeks. And amazingly, I didn't tell Emma to put this in the set list, but it's there anyway, which is wonderful. Um, And Jess and I, we've been really blessed uh, that actually exactly a month ago today, we completed on a house purchase. But for the three weeks leading up to that moment, that was really hard. Pretty much every day we would wake up and there would be a new hurdle in the way. Something would have gone wrong. A piece of paper had been mislaid. It just looked like the whole thing was going to fall apart for three weeks. But in those difficult times, through every tough email, every really stress-filled phone call, the words of this song kept going through my head. And these were words are drawn from various verses in Jeremiah and in Isaiah. And it says, your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us through the fire and the flood. Now, we were lucky. It did work out for us. In no small part, through a miracle van hire, the night before somebody canceled a van and we were able to get a van in order to move uh, van hire, we had amazing generosity in time from our friends and from our family, many of whom are part of this church family. Um, But I really hope and I really pray that if things hadn't worked out, that I would still have been able to find strength in that promise. God does have this in all situations, whether good or bad. And that's the challenge that I want to set you guys today. That no matter what you're going through, do you truly find your hope in the sovereign Creator God, 
who loves you. The God who knows how to make this equation, hang on where it is, there it is, he knows how to make this equation work. Do you really know deep in your heart that God's got this? Because he really does. So as we do sing that song in a moment, the band will come up. And I really encourage you to really pray into the words of this next song. To really let them sit on your heart. They are true. And we see it throughout the Bible.